We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking MLS versus Premier League. How much has American soccer actually improved? The latest club valuations, uh, Big Sam, Moby Dick again, and much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this? Uh, what are we looking at here? Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. I am doing well on a special day for the State of the Union podcast because it is the birthday of our beloved director, Erin Schechter. She turns 24. She is incredible, by the way. Uh, we're we're going to lose her because she's so good. Somebody's going to come along and pluck her up uh, and take her on to bigger and better things. But until then, we will celebrate everything that she does in terms of her... Uh, uh, performance at work, but more importantly, just a wonderful individual. Happy, happy birthday. I'm so glad that she's able to celebrate this birthday and uh, that uh, things are looking so rosy for her, whether it comes to work or uh, uh, offstage, uh, shall we say. Um, so happy birthday, uh, Aaron. She's wonderful. Uh, and uh, just another wonderful person that we have working behind the scenes to, <laughs> Mossy, let's be honest, do everything in their power. And sometimes it's next to impossible to make us look and sound good. But they uh, they do it consistently, and we are forever indebted to them. Uh, you watch anything? Uh, see anything interesting? Another great episode of Ted Lasso, I thought. Um, Sean Sullivan is not a big fan of Keeley's girlfriend, mm-hmm. so that's uh, hindering his enjoyment of this season. But uh, nevertheless, I-, I think this season has been top-notch so far. Keeley is, uh, which one uh, remember? I remember? The one that dated Jamie Tart and then Roy Kent. So now she's a lesbian. Correct. Got it. Uh, so I, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't followed the, uh, uh, I, I haven't watched the third season because I'm waiting for it to completely be done. As people know, I have my rules, and I broke and violated my rule for Ted Lasso, and watched it before it was done. We now know that there's going to be three seasons. The third season, at the very least, I'm going to wait till the entire thing is done and then binge the entire season. It's hard because I got, you know, obviously it's part of, uh, you know, the social conscious right now and everybody's talking about it. And so I get these little pings and stuff like that. But all right. Um, 
Is there anything else uh, that you watch? But you're very happy with the third season. I was reading an article today, actually, on the entire Ted Lasso effect. And this one was a, a scathing op-ed, I think, in, uh, I can't remember where it was, but uh, about how this person did not like what Ted Lasso has become in the third season and has jumped the proverbial shark uh, with the uh, with the third season and how they've gone down. So, you know, different strokes for different folks, right? Um, anything else uh, that you've watched? That's it. Uh, it reminds me, um, because I got so angry at myself because I got excited when I went on, I think it's Amazon, and I pulled up uh, Waco, the aftermath. And, you know, we had talked about Waco and all that. Well, this comes on the heels of um, the Waco mini miniseries, I think it was back in 2018 that was on Amazon, which was really, really good. And so now they've continued on with this in this new miniseries that deals with obviously the aftermath and all the court proceedings and all the uh, um, the intended and unintended consequences of it. But it, it, I thought that it was done. I, it's a limited series. And so I thought that all the episodes were out there. I come to find out after I watched three, thinking that that was it, that there are now six episodes. And now I am in this position where I'm beholden to the man and I have to wait every single week for it to come out, which, as you know, pisses, pisses me off to no end. So that's uh, that's one. Two, I, I, I was so down on myself because for those that listen to the show, you'll remember that I, I, I attempted to, I guess it would be reread, even though it was decades ago when I last read it, Moby Dick, great American classic, right? And I just couldn't. It, it was just plotting and boring, and I was just completely uninterested in it. And I started to kick myself for how is it possible that I can't get into this this classic uh, book? So I've gone back and I've continued to to try at least attempt to uh, attempt to read it. But I'm also augmenting it with uh, with various versions of Moby Dick from a cinematic perspective. And so the first one that I've gotten was a 1998 television movie starring uh, Patrick Stewart. And by the way, had a cameo from uh, Gregory Peck, who ended up winning a Golden Globe for his uh, portrayal of, uh, what was it, Father uh, Maple or Maple or however, however you say it. But um, I, so I'm hoping that this just kind of spurs me on to finish the actual book. But it's, it is... It's heavy lifting. I'm sorry, my friend. I, I I'm 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 trying my hardest because, and it's and I, I recognize and admit that it's because of it uh, of its stature from a literary perspective. But it better get better. All right. Anyway, any, anyway, uh, anything else, Mossy? Well, as long as you brought up books, yeah. I am devouring that Spanish Civil War book I ordered from Amazon, Spain in Our Hearts, uh, Americans in the Spanish Civil War. It's uh, by an author, Adam Hochschild. Very, very good. Uh, very interested in the subject right now, so I'm loving it. You're, and you're, you just keep reading it. And you're actually reading the book as opposed to me who's listening to the yes. book. Yes. All right. But either way, we are you know, on taking it, intaking it, I guess, ingesting it, whatever. Uh, all right. Should we let this candle? Where should we start, my friend? Was there any news out there in the, uh, in, in the world of soccer that we should probably mention? Uh, some big news involving Lionel Messi. He's that Argentine guy, right? Yep. The okay. French media reporting that PSG have suspended him two weeks and that they've decided <laughs> they are no longer going to attempt to re-sign him. His contract is up at the end of the season. The incident that provoked all this, Messi recently became an ambassador of tourism for Saudi Arabia. And this week, he took an unauthorized trip to Saudi Arabia to take part in some event and missed a training session with PSG as a result. And they were so upset about that that they've chosen to punish him. And it looks like he will be gone at the end of the season. Wow. Okay. So 
you know, part of me says, why, why did this, why did this happen? All right. So you're messy. So why are you going and doing this if your club does not want you to do it? I mean, this is a club that has paid you a tremendous amount of money that you are still under contract with and you are violating, <laughs> I guess, the contractual obligation that you have. And so I don't know what the justification that is for that. I've certainly been in it. Plenty of people, uh, players have been in a situation where they've been at odds with ownership about something that they want to do. But it's always a recognition on the player's part that you have to get permission. And if you don't, you're violating your contract. And therefore, there can be repercussions from it as there, as there are here. Remind me again how many more games are left in PSG's uh, uh, season right now? Or where are we at? We're right at the end here, right? I mean, there's only a couple of more. So we shan't see uh monsieur messi again i would think for psg because this has got to be the the splitting and the parting uh of ways when it comes to him and psg i know you wanted to mention what this has to do or how, how this reflects on psg first uh before we talk about also how, how it has an impact on mls but i will say this who owns psg again mossy uh the qataris so had he taken a trip to doha do you think that the reaction would have been the same? No. Uh, I was going to go there. Yeah. The issue that overhangs all this is the fact that Qatar and Saudi Arabia have had a tumultuous relationship, to say the least. So that, that adds another layer to PSG's disenchantment for sure. But yeah, I just find it amusing that PSG are trying to portray this as if they've decided they're not going to re-sign Messi, <laughs> even though all indications are that he already decided weeks ago he wasn't going to re-sign with PSG. It reminds me of a Seinfeld episode where George Costanza was dating a woman, thought that she was going to break up with him, so right. he broke up with her <laughs> first. Uh, but there, there's a Fabrizio Romano tweet uh, for those of you watching us in which he lays it all out that this incident is the breaking point for both sides and Messi will not uh, stay at PSG beyond the season, which then raises the question of where is he going to go? There's a feeling that his heart is uh, going back to Barcelona, but they have to make the finances work, get permission from La Liga. That seems very questionable at this point. So the other possibilities are Saudi Arabia following the same path that Cristiano Ronaldo just took or coming to MLS to play for David Beckham's Inter-Miami. Beckham and company are certainly going to try to convince him to do that. Uh, you are uniquely qualified to discuss this because you are the general manager that lured David Beckham to MLS back in 2007. Do you see some parallels here in these situations? Well, first off, I didn't lure David Beckham. Money lured David Beckham, which is also playing a big part in what is going on here with the courting and ultimately the luring of uh, of Messi. Now, uh, rumors, if they're if rumors are to be uh, believed, we're talking about $400 million potentially a year for him to go to Saudi Arabia to play. And keep in mind that that would be, I guess, double what uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has gotten. And I, I guess it would reunite, reunite that rivalry and maybe they could build on something like that. First, that type of money is so out of the realm of possibility when it comes to Major League Soccer that if it's just about that money, then it's done and dusted, and there's no chance in hell that he is coming uh, to MLS. And from an MLS perspective, as important and as epic and historic as signing Messi would be, you could take that $400 million and do things within the league that would make you infinitely better across the board. And so that money could be much better spent uh, when I'm talking about $400 million. So there is a limit as to what MLS can spend and ultimately what they, I think, want to spend. Now, it's going to be historic. 
keep in mind that, you know, right now, I don't know, we're, we're, we're looking at probably, what is it, uh, 17, 18 million dollars, the maximum that any MLS player has ever made per season. He is going to blow that, or that, that is making right now when it comes to uh, uh, players in, in MLS, and he's going to blow that out of the water. But MLS still does have at its disposal um, elements and aspects that it can throw at Messi and his camp to lure him to Major League Soccer. Not the least of which is, I think for him and his family, they've already shown that this is a place where they like to be And when it comes to the United States, and in particular, obviously, Miami, having a house there, apartment there. And I think that that is appealing to him and his family. People say, well, he's already got enough money. Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I, what I have found in my 52 years on Earth is that people that, that have made a lot of money still want to make more money. But I don't always look at, at, at Messi as completely focused on the money, as great as it may be. $400 million a year <laughs> is pretty incredible. I mean, he's already set himself and future generations up, and this would only add to that pot, uh, that pot going, uh, going forward. But what is the pitch, ultimately, to Messi from Major League Soccer? You mentioned quality of life, uh, lifestyle. Uh, a familiarity with the country and the culture from having been here and already having business aspects that exist here. Um, and then, you know, it's the actual money, which we know is not going to be even in the realm of what Saudi Arabia, for example, can offer, but it's still going to be incredibly huge and unprecedented in terms of what he is making. And then there is the possibility of what we talk about when it came to Beckham. And that is ownership of a team, either partial ownership or the ability to have a team going forward. Now, at, you know, back when David Beckham had the Beckham clause that enabled him to buy a team for, at that point, it was $25 million, and I think it ended up going to, let's say, $35 million. But even then, when we're looking at team valuations right now in the half a billion to more just for the actual opportunity to be an expansion team, that's a pretty good deal. So would... MLS do that type of situation, which I think could be incredibly appealing and ultimately incredibly fruitful and lucrative from Messi. But it's a much more of a long-term type of uh, play as opposed to money in the hand and that uh, that Saudi Arabia would give to him. I, I, I don't, I don't know what Messi's motivation ultimately is. I've always said that I much, I, that I saw, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo much more looking at the American market from his brand perspective than I saw Messi. And it's not that he doesn't think about his brand and it's not that he's not smart and he's not, and he's not concerned with his brand, but it's, I, I don't see him as thinking about it as much as others. Let me ask you this. Um, over the years, world-class players have generally viewed coming to MLS as closing the book on the truly relevant part of their careers and a big part of the appeal is after spending most of their lives in soccer crazy countries, they like going to a place where soccer isn't that popular and they can have more peace and tranquility. Um, given how MLS has grown and these ambitions of becoming one of the best leagues in the world, at what point is that paradigm going to shift 
And is the sales pitch to guys like this going to be more based on footballing reasons? And actually, we think we have now one of the better leagues and we think you can come here and play and have success and have it feel like a relevant part of your career. Are we there yet? You know, I guess when you contrast it to David Beckham, how much has MLS grown in the last 16 years in your eyes to a a big enough degree that it would change how the sales pitch was to Beckham versus how it's going to be to Messi? Okay, so if Messi were to do this, a couple of things that we would see right off the bat, right? Um, It would be the first time in history that we are seeing Messi play on a team that is not elite. And that's by by design, right? When it comes to Major League Soccer, he would be playing on a team that might spend money and might be better than others. But the parity and the manufactured parity and certainly the relative parity of teams that he has been involved with right now, too, is is completely different and and night and day. And so from a competitive standpoint. He would be faced by challenges that he has never faced before, okay? If he does have aspirations, and right now he has not, you know, closed the door on playing with the national team, obviously coming off of a World Cup, but if he has aspirations to play in 2026, I don't think that coming to America changes that trajectory one iota. That's that's a key point right there. I... I assume that after he won the World Cup, it would be this drop the mic moment and he would retire from the national team. And in my view, that would, too, yeah. that would increase the chances of him coming to MLS. And now the last few months, there's been stuff emanating from the Messi camp that he wants to keep playing for the national team and potentially even play in the next World Cup. And so I've been programmed to think, ooh, that hurts the chances of him coming to MLS because if that's the case, he's going to feel like he needs to stay in Europe. But I guess that's the question I was asking earlier. Is that paradigm shifting where players might not look upon that in the same way? He might feel totally comfortable still playing for the national team and trying to play in the next World Cup and being in MLS. Do you think maybe we're getting to that point from a credibility standpoint? Or, I, I, I don't think it has shifted as much as you, you, you say or that we maybe even think. I, I would love for that paradigm to, to ship and, uh, shift and that credibility be attached and afforded to players. What what might be interesting is, you know, if you're, uh, uh, who's the uh, the guy in uh, Atlanta? Tiago. Tiago uh, Amada. Amada, right? Who was at the start of his uh, career and certainly is being looked at right now from, from leagues and teams all over. Does Messi coming to MLS for one instance, change how you think of going or staying? Because he can certainly stay and be paid a tremendous amount of money and be a, a continual star for Atlanta. I, I, don't, I don't think so because I think he has aspirations. So that aspirational part of playing in Europe, I don't until that starts to change where the aspirations are, yeah, I want to star for this team and I want to play in the United States and, and in North America, and this is where I want to be, and I don't suffer from a financial perspective, and I don't suffer from a credibility perspective, that, that takes time. Now, Messi coming here, not only playing, but hopefully from his perspective, playing well, and then translating that to his national team, by the way, one of the great national teams, that, that, makes, that, make, that can make a difference. Because reading newspapers from around the world, there does seem to be this lumping of MLS with Saudi Arabia in that, well, you know, the serious footballing choice is obviously to stay in Europe and, mm-hmm. and play for Barcelona, but he might be done with that part of his career and he might be ready to go to an MLS or Saudi Arabia. Does that bother you that MLS still gets sort of lumped in that way? Uh, it, it, 
I'm too old to be bothered. By <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm immune to it, Mossy. But I also, I mean, look, we saw the scenes when Messi came to Miami. So this, this idea that he's going to come to the U.S. and nobody's going to bother him or care about him. That's bullshit. Right? I, I agree. No, and, and the ultimate irony is David Beckham has partly helped make this uh, a much more soccer crazy country to the point where it's actually hurt a little bit of the argument that David Beckham would now want to use to try to lure Lionel Messi. Yeah, this notion that Lionel Messi can come to the United States and just take a stroll down the street and nobody's going to bother him. We saw when he vacationed in Miami after winning the Copa America in 2021. It wasn't quite the scenes we saw in Buenos Aires recently, but still, it was pretty crazy. You, you, you're still going to have security and, and have to have security for you and your family, all right? You still, when you leave your house, there's going to be paparazzi and everybody is, is going to recognize you, all right? You're one of the most recognizable faces in the world. And that's not going to change from you being in the, in the U.S. Our, our country and culture this is a soccer country and people are going to be excited. Yes, there are, uh, yes, there are other sports and you're going to have experiences that you wouldn't have, you, uh, you wouldn't have elsewhere, but you know, also the pressure, while I think it, it's a different pressure, there is still a pressure, the pressure to bring it, the pressure to sustain, not just you as a brand, but this brand that you are coming into and to promote and to be that ambassador for the league. That, you know, that is, it's a different type of pressure, but it is, uh, it's certainly a pressure. And again, I go back to what you said. You're having to do all of this while you are not playing on a team that is spent more than everybody else, that has much more talent than any other team, and therefore affords you the luxury of being able to sustain that pressure with the knowledge that when you step on the field, you have a much better chance than others, than most others of actually winning. Yeah, to be clear, if Messi wants to come here, whatever the reason, people should be thrilled about it. I'm just curious, when is going to be that first guy that's going to come here where it's going to feel a little bit different than it's felt so far? You know, right, you know, for the first 25 or so years of MLS existence, anytime a world-class player came here, you didn't feel like he was coming here because he was kind of done with the quote-unquote main part of his career and wanted to get out of that pressure cooker and sort of ease his way into retirement. I know MLS folk... Yeah, don't like to no, hear that. But who's going to be that first guy as MLS continues to grow where it's going to feel different? It's going to feel like a footballing exactly. choice. But, and but you have just laid out the perception that MLS has been battling against since 1996. Now, I think that over the last 30 years, uh, American soccer and MLS we're talking about right now has done a good job at chipping away, but it is still absolutely the way that many people, and not just people around the world, but even people domestically, think about the league and think about how it reflects on a player if and when that player decides to play. Just to go back to PSG for one second, it is uh, amazing how how much more attractive PSG feels in the first halves of season than the second halves, because they always advance from their Champions League group. They've done so 11 straight years. That's when they amass their big lead in Ligue 1. Uh, you're living in Paris, getting paid lots of money, surrounded by other big stars, so it doesn't feel so bad. Messi seemed pretty happy the first half of this season, and then he goes off and wins the World Cup, which made him even happier, and PSG tried to seize on that, and they offered him a contract extension right then and there, and by all accounts, he was very close to signing it, but he held off, and then what happens in the second halves of seasons? Invariably, PSG flame out in the Champions League, the fans are angry, it becomes toxic, Ligue 1 starts to feel really tedious once you're not in the Champions League anymore, and Messi looked around and said, what the heck am I doing here? There's got to be better places. Do you think right now it's just between Saudi Arabia and the U.S.? Because no. there's the Barcelona thing out there. and uh, No, I think Barcelona is a real threat here. 
Interestingly enough, there's some news there. Uh, their sporting director, Matteo Alemani, is leaving to go to Aston Villa. Um, and there's talk of them replacing him with Deku, the Brazilian-born Portugal midfielder who played with Messi at Barcelona when he first came up in the mid-2000s. They have a good relationship. A lot of people think that move would help them lure Messi. Although, I don't think, I, like I said, I think his heart is with Barcelona, so I don't think they need to convince him to go there. It's all about getting the finances to work, getting Tebas, the La Liga president, to sign off on it. They're going to try to sell the Tebas. Look, this would be a good thing for La Liga, Messi coming back. So uh, help us bend the rules here a little bit, but we'll see. if you All know. right, well, uh, as far as the Odds right now when you go to points bet, uh, minus 150 for Barcelona, plus 250 for any Saudi Arabia team. Uh, let's see, plus a thousand to Inter Miami, uh, Inter Miami. Um, and let's see, LAFC is plus 2000. Interesting, interesting, interesting. City is plus 2000. I mean, I, I think that it's going to come down to Saudi Arabia and the US. How about uh, Messi laying on passes to Erlen Holland? Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> oh goodness anyway this is all this is all these aren't even whatever is above first world problems that's what these problems are when it comes uh when it comes to messy but it it obviously has a, a direct impact on mls because there has been so much talk about the possibility of coming and what that would mean for mls uh, you mentioned lafc they're doing just fine without messi uh last night uh they secured their place in the ccl final their second final in four years in this competition uh they knocked off philadelphia 3-0 in the second leg at home to complete a 4-1 aggregate triumph the goals last night tillman opoku and buanga uh, Philadelphia had Mbizo sent off early in the second half. A lot of people think they should have played pretty much all this match down oh a man. Let me go there first. Um, there's this eternal debate as to whether referees are more reluctant to show a red card early in a game. Well, Alejandro Bodoy really tested that because in the first two minutes he committed a foul that, I'm sorry, that is a stone cold red <laughs> card. I don't know how the referee didn't, didn't make that decision. Well, he didn't make that decision because of exactly what you were talking about. <laughs> and Look, until the robots and AI take over, which might be, uh, you know, a matter of days, but until that time, we are still using human beings, albeit human beings that are informed and much more, you know, educated uh, when it comes to the technology that they have at their disposal. Having said that, you know, this was a, this was absolutely a red card. I think, I think if there's a grace period, it's probably first five. If, <laughs> if this happens in the first 10 or 15, I guess 15 minutes, then there are there are problems here, and I, I looked at it. I think even the VAR <laughs> looked at. I think everybody looked at it and said, "This is this is a red card." However, I will defend a referee in that position making that choice. But I'm but I'm a neutral. I'm sitting at home on my couch watching the game and watching two of the great teams in America play against each other in the semifinal of the Concacaf Champions League to go to a final. I want them at full strength for as long as possible. And so the first minute, couple minutes of the game, you give a red card, you fundamentally change the complexion of the game. And I don't think necessarily for, uh, for the better. And there are those that are absolutists that say it doesn't matter when and the circumstances, and in this case, we're talking about the time this, this happens, don't apply. But that's, I, I think that that's a little disingenuous because you are talking about human beings in a situation that are recognizing and are influenced by everything that is going on. And that includes the time. That includes the player. What is that player's reputation? That includes the reaction, like it or not, the reaction of the player. 
the player who went in for the tackle, the player that received the tackle. And I guess even ultimately the injury or not injury, should all those, all those things factor in? No, there's nothing in the laws that tell you that you should factor that in. But again, these are human beings making the, the situation. But had in that moment a red card been given to Bedoya, because like you said, everybody that just saw it in isolation would say, absolutely, that's a, uh, that's a red card. But I'm, I'm okay with the fact that we are still using human beings. And human beings, at least for now, are able to take on and understand and be affected, I think, in a positive way from the circumstances and the surroundings and what is going on in the moment as opposed to just a completely uh, uh, pristine, unaffected type of decision that would have had to happen in that moment, in a, in a very sterile type of decision that would have had to happen. It didn't affect the outcome. No. LAFC won anyway. They're unbeaten MLS and now in the CCL final. This club is firing all cylinders. They are firing. And this was, like you said, this was comprehensive from start to finish. There was never any doubt as to who the better team was. Relative to last year, uh, I think that, you know, while while Philadelphia has regressed a little bit, I think LAFC has actually improved. And they are an even better team. And I think that that showed up. I mean, the best thing about Philadelphia last night, let's be honest, was Jim Curtin's uh, get up. His uh, it looked like a 1970s baseball manager jacket. And I know a lot of people are looking at it and saying, hey, I, I would have loved it. He would have fit in like at the Astrodome in 1977 or something like that or a bad news bears go to Japan type of situation. So he looked good, even though his team did not uh, did not play well. And ultimately, the best team finished. And I think the best possible chance for an MLS team to win CONCACAF Champions League again and prove, like we said earlier in the week, that it's not just a fluke and an anomaly of what Seattle did last time. I was reading Mexican newspapers this morning preparing some notes for Keith Koskin and Warren Barton for the Leon Tigres uh, second leg. And yeah, they were very complimentary of LAFC. Uh, they felt like LAFC really sent a message to the two Mexican clubs. They laid a marker down. Uh, we're taping this Wednesday afternoon. As soon as we're done, I am going to head to the Fox uh, studios to cover the second leg between Leon and Tigres. Leon trying to overturn a 2-1 deficit. By the time you hear this pod, that match will have already been played. I will say, though, we've, we've been talking about a potential finals rematch between LAFC and Tigres. They played in the 2020 final in the bubble in Orlando. You were there. Yep. Tigres rallied for a 2-1 win. Keep in mind, LAFC eliminated Leon in the round of 16 en route to that final, and it was a tie in which they lost the first leg 2-0 in Mexico, and at that point, we were still kind of programmed right. to think that, well, that's it's it, over. it's, it's over. Me, yeah. And then they came back home and demolished Leon. They won 3-0, but it was worse than that. They had a goal wrongly disallowed. They missed all these chances. On balance of play, it really felt like a 6-0. And if, if, we, if there is really a changing of the guard going on right now between uh, MLS and Liga MX, we're all going to try to pinpoint... When was that moment where it really felt like it flipped? And I feel like that second leg between LAFC, LAFC and Leon in 2020, that was the first time I stood up and said, wow, I did not think an MLS team was capable of doing this to a Liga MX team. LAFC might have a higher ceiling than any Liga MX team right now. And I felt that after that match. I, I completely agree. And when it comes to Steve Terundolo, I've been a little reticent to put him in the, in the hierarchy of, of names when it comes to, you know, like, for example, when we talk about national team and stuff like that. But the guy has just been money since he has come in. And not just in terms of getting the results, but the consistency of those results and the quality of team. And yes, he had had 
you know, some uh, some experience, but certainly not at the level of LAFC. But they groomed him over in uh, in, in Las Vegas. And there was that succession type of thing when Bob Bradley went. And he has not only come in and lived up to to Bob Bradley, but completely blown that out of the water and won the titles and gone to the finals and done the things that LAFC, I think, positioned themselves to uh, to want to do. But they needed the right person. So I got I got a lot of time for him. Uh, he was a guest on this podcast right after he was appointed manager and you were grilling him over his Las Vegas lights record. That was sure. a hard hitting interview. I don't know how hard hitting it was, but and he, and he took it uh, and he answered the question. And I, I think if I remember correctly, one of the questions I asked him was, um, why are you the right person for the job? And he didn't flinch and said, I, I know how good I am. I know what I've done. I, uh, and I believe in myself. That's all fine and well. But he's backing it up. It's one thing to say. It's another thing to back it up. Unlike Ted Kennedy in 1980, he had a good answer. (laughs) Exactly. And if I were to do my list of coaches right now, uh, and we know with uh, Matt Crocker uh, now as the sporting director, he is, I would assume, each and every day now looking uh, for that that new national team coach, I would absolutely include uh, Steve Cherundolo. And when it comes to U.S. coaches, he is right up there at the top. Uh, some big MLS games to look forward to this weekend. Uh, one of them in the Eastern Conference, Cincinnati hosting uh, suddenly surging DC United, four straight wins in all competitions. Yeah, I mean this uh, this story with DC United, which has just been bad for a number of years, and you know with with Rain Rooney, and that we know that that doesn't always work out, and it's still early days, but so far so good. We've mentioned four out of the uh, uh, you know four wins in a row. Uh, all competitions and three wins in a row when it comes to MLS. And what I think a lot of people pointed to as a as a telling moment uh, last week when Jacob Green, the uh, you know the young um, academy product of DC, scored, and everybody on the field and everybody on the bench kind of mobbed him. You know that I think that is important, and I don't want to put too much on it, but I think that what is being created there is. A sense of family, a sense of you know, a spirit when it comes to the team, and a sense of responsibility. And we just talked about aspirational type of, of moments for young players that are in a club. If your ultimate goal is to play for the first team, if your first team sucks or is consistently sucks, that is going to infect everybody within that club now that you have this this tree that is your club. It's not just one team. It's multiple teams at different age groups, and you have this aspirational type of thing. Well, first off, you have proof of concept when a young player comes up and and gets on the field and does good things. Next, you have that family type of thing that you saw in that moment. Now, that doesn't always translate into results, but right now, D.C. Now, they got to go into Cincinnati, which we know they're able to grind out results, and this this will be very telling, I think, for D.C. United going in... uh, as uh, as a red hot type of DC squad right now, uh, St. Louis after a strong start to the campaign, just one win in their last five MLS matches. A tough one for them this week, and they are away to Dallas. And they're still missing uh, Klaus. What's Klaus' first name? What's Joan Klaus. Joan Klaus, uh, who was in- incredible, and then he got hurt. And I think he, it's it was a well oiled machine, but the parts behind it. You know, then it, then they start to struggle, especially somebody uh, as important as Klaus. So, going into FC Dallas, I mean, this uh, you don't put it past St. Louis with with with, with what they've done, but April has not been kind to um, uh, to St. Louis, and 
I think I'm picking SC Dallas in uh, in this one and the St. Louis regression to the mean continuing. The uh, Fox game, Seattle hosts Sporting KC. Keep in mind, in the summer of 2016, Seattle, it was a home defeat to Sporting KC that spelled the end for the great Ziggy Schmidt. He was fired. So there is some poetic, uh, you know, if, if it's a loss to Seattle seven years later that finally spells the end for Peter Vermes. Yeah, I mean, we talked earlier this week about the hot seat, and I think it is the hottest possible seat for a club legend right now. And so just what the doctor ordered isn't necessarily going in and playing against uh, Seattle, but this is MLS and crazy things, uh, crazy things can happen. But I mean, I don't see their fortunes changing from going in and playing arguably, you know, arguably one of the great teams this year in the league in Seattle and having to go on that turf and having to go to Seattle and all everything uh, that that is. I've had some people already uh, DMing me on, uh, uh, on Twitter about, you know, just the fact that this team not only is not good, but I think what many fans where their angst is and their anger is, is that they haven't adapted and they haven't changed with the times. And when you have a, a coach who's been there a long time, and this, this applies to any league, probably any sport, the, the immediate first criticism is the game has moved on. I don't necessarily think that that has applies to Peter Vermes, but Peter Vermes hasn't done the things and hasn't made the adjustments to change anything but this team losing. And I don't think that that changes this weekend against Seattle. You know, uh, Goal.com, we, we love the coverage. Uh, they post lots of articles based on stuff you say on this podcast. They do? But man, the headlines sometimes, this latest one, it was like, Alexi Lalas says to Peter Vermes, you have failed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about, <laughs> well, if Peter was here, I think he would say the same thing, you know. And I, I know we talked last uh, episode about failure and what that is and that trigger. So, yeah, he's he's failed. You know, in a league that you know with manufactured parity, it's okay to say that so far it's not even a failure; it's a complete disaster right now when it comes to uh, sporting KC. So I don't think that I'm saying anything crazy uh, out there when it comes to sporting KC or Peter Vermes. And the fact that I say that is based on an incredible amount of respect for I have for Peter Vermes, okay? And the way that he holds not just his his players and his club accountable, but ultimately himself. And while I can rail about it from the outside, I know from the inside, he's probably pulling out what Harry has left, trying to figure out how the hell do I fix this? And everything that I try isn't working. And maybe people will say, well, yeah, he didn't try this or he should have done this. And ultimately, if it ends up uh, costing his job, I don't think that anybody's going to say, oh, that was, you know, that, you know, that was uh, beyond the pale or that, that wasn't fair. I don't think that there is ever going to be an element if there is a change and Peter Vermes is not the coach of KC going for that everybody's going to say, oh, we didn't get leash. They didn't give him time or it wasn't fair or anything like that. I think that this would be the fairest type of thing uh, out there if they were to uh, ultimately make a change because of the failure and not giving the Sporting KC faithful what they have paid for and what they expect, especially relative to the league in which they play. That's it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, got some nuggets and some interesting things happening over there on and off the field uh, in Europe. (laughs) 
Okay, we're back. And uh, should we start off with some uh, nuggets and some U.S. men's national team as uh, news? As we know, we got uh, some big games coming up this summer, big tournaments coming up this summer. Yeah, we transitioned to Europe, but we start with some injury news involving American defenders. Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's had a very good season with Celtic in Scotland. Uh, he's been playing with a knee injury, and he finally decided to undergo surgery. He's going to be out several months. And then we mentioned on our last podcast that Tim Ream had injured his arm in Fulham's loss to Manchester City. He ended up having surgery for a fractured arm. And so he's going to be out a while. So they're both going to miss the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal against Mexico. And then if the U.S. advanced, they would face Panama or Canada in the final. They'll also unavailable for the Gold Cup. So that got us thinking about a U.S. men's national team center back depth chart without those two. You have people like Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Aaron Long, Mark McKenzie, who's had a very good season with mm -hmm. Genk in Belgium, Chris Richards. So how do you see it uh, at the moment? I, I mean, I think if you have to win a game, and I know we're dealing with Anthony Hudson right now, I, I guess for the foreseeable future here, I think we'll actually see the, the, the pairing that initially we were so excited and thought we were going to see when it comes to Zimmerman and Robinson. Now, uh, keep in mind that the last camp when it comes to defenders that were called in, um, Sturginio Desk. All right. So Walker Zimmerman, Matt Miazga, you mentioned Aaron Long, um, you know, these types of uh, these types of players. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there are going to be some players that are uh, that are given opportunities. And because of the fact that Tim Ream is not going to be there and now with this uh, with this in, uh, with this injury. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> Let's, I'm just looking at, at other players that have been brought in. Chris Richards, you mentioned, who starts and doesn't start, is injured, isn't injured. So I think that there is an opportunity there for center backs. But I think unless something crazy happens, if the U.S. is playing in that game that they have to win, I think that Anthony Hudson is going to go with Walker Zimmerman and, uh, and Robinson. And it's nice to have Robinson back because that was a player that I think a lot of us recognized really changed the complexion of the team when he went down with that horrible uh, Achilles uh, injury. Yeah, those two developed a great chemistry for most of the octagonal, which is why Robinson was going to start at the World Cup if he hadn't gotten injured. Um, I thought Zimmerman looked very good in that friendly against Mexico. Aaron Long did not look good in that match, so he's way down my pecking order right now. I'm intrigued by McKenzie, what he's done in Belgium, so I think he deserves a look. And yeah, Chris Richards, another guy that's battled injuries, which cost him a place in the World Cup squad. And then this season just hasn't played enough. Whenever he plays, he looks all right, but just hasn't played enough games uh, to really impress. So I'm not sure where he stands right now. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe by the end of this summer, some new names, whether it's at center back or anywhere else, emerge. And that's kind of what these things are for, is to say, hey, who's going to step up? Who's going to step up and take this opportunity? Again, three years until the World Cup, it's going to come like that, and you want to be there. When, uh, when the music stops and those 23 names are named, uh, you want to have it, even more so than any other World Cup that uh, I th certainly think any of these players can remember. Now, a Premier League club that boasts three prominent U.S. internationals, Leeds United, they've been in the news the last couple of days. We mentioned our last pod that they were strongly considering sacking Javi Gracia, who was the coach they brought in to replace Jesse Marsh. They did, in fact, sack Gracia, and they've replaced him with Sam Allardyce, uh, and Sam not lacking for confidence. He had an interesting quote in the introductory press conference that I know you wanted to react to. Let's take a listen right now. I might be 68 and look old, but there's nobody, there's nobody ahead of me in football terms. 
not Pep, not not Klopp, not Arteta. So it's all there with me, um, and I share it with them. They 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 do what they do, I do what do what I do. But in terms of knowledge and depth of knowledge, I'm up there with them. I'm not saying I'm better than them, but certainly as good as they are. Oh, I love this. I love this so much for so many different reasons and maybe reasons that you can think of and maybe even some that you that you can't he, he i mean he is giving um the english exactly what they want and from an american perspective i can completely relate and recognize it and it comes from you know the the insecurity that we talk about um and the disillusionment, if you will, of all of the changes that have happened it comes from a place of nationalism, all that. I mean, Gary Lineker put out that uh, that clip with with just one word said brilliant. And I get it because it would resonate with me if an American said something like that. And, and I will raise my hand and admit that it comes from, uh, you know, like I said, a a place of insecurity and the inferiority complex that we talk about that. Now, the English, not in the same way, except when it comes to the EPL and what the EPL has become with all of the international influx and influence of players and of coaches, let's be honest. And to have one of us, I guess it would be if, if, if Gary Lineker or any other Englishman was looking at this, one of us step up in that moment and say, what many feel or many want to hear said, it's it's catnip. It's absolutely, it plays into all of these different things that we have talked about. And to be fair to Sam uh, Allardyce, he has talked about it over the years, about not believing that he has been given the benefit of the doubt or given the opportunities specifically because he's English. His famous quote many years ago, he yes. said, if my last name was Allardyce, I would be a lot more respected in this country. So he's been on this page for a while. What'd you think of it? I will say, though, um, Leeds are, are a club that wants to project this image of being a progressive club. So they've been resistant. There, there's a type of an appointment that English clubs that are battling relegation usually make. They go for a Sean Dyche, a Roy Hodgson, a Sam Allardyce, guys who are just going to be able to grind out results. You know, you, you reach a point of the season where you kind of, all right, we're not going to overthink this. We just got to grind out enough points to stay up. And those are the types of managers they usually hire. Leeds twice in a row has resisted making that sort of move. When they got rid of Bielsa, they brought in Jesse Marsh. And then when they got rid of Marsh, they brought in Javi Gracia. It is interesting that now with four games left, they've finally given up on that and said, just get Sam Allardyce <laughs> in, park the bus for these last four games, and just let's grind out uh, enough results just to stay up. So Allardyce can bristle at this, but that is how that appointment is being perceived. I guess, but do you... Although, to be fair to him, what coach could come in with four games left in the season and impose any kind of philosophy or identity of playing football? It, well, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be all... Yeah, it's all... It's not going to be X's and O's types of things. It's going to be motivation. That's ultimately right, what right. it comes down. But do you, do you agree with him? Do you think that when it comes to thinking about the game or motivating, all of the different things that come into play as a manager, as a coach, do you see his... What he, the point that he's trying to make, or do you agree with the point that he's trying to make relative to Pep and Klopp? Uh, I don't. E Why? Even allowing for the fact that the teams he's managed have had less talent, obviously, than the teams that Pep and Klopp manage, I've never seen anything in the way his teams play that would indicate, oh, if you put him on a better team, all of a sudden they would play this champagne football. But why would you, 
but aren't you completely separating it out now? If 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 Pep and and Klopp and these types of uh, coaches have never been in the situation that he's been in, then how is it? Yeah, we're fair? We're, we're projecting. I okay, well, yeah, but yeah. all right. So I, I I don't know ultimately, but I think there is there there is the knee jerk type of reaction to say, well, this is all bluster and this is all bullshit, and that this is completely untrue and that Pep and Klopp think about the game in a way that which Sam Allardyce or any other person, uh, uh, you know, along those lines. And I guess what, what, what many English folks would say, or many English coaches out there, you know, they think about it in a game that you wouldn't possibly understand when it, when it's so uh, complex. Now I can't blame them for parking the bus in Leeds' next match, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, because they are away to Manchester City, and then doesn't get much easier after that. Uh, home to Newcastle, away to West Ham, and home to Tottenham. That's how they'll okay. Wrap but up but the flip season. it around then. If Pep or Klopp were in charge of Leeds going into play against Man City, because you've already said you don't think that you you don't, what are they doing that is so mind blowing that is going to ultimately give Leeds a better chance of being successful? Oh, the inverted fullbacks. And I knew would. you would. <laughs> I knew. It's all, uh, all right. That's, but anyway, when he said that, I, I, I felt a kindred type of spirit, even though I love to make fun of the English. And in this case, I, was, I found myself supporting the English because of I know how that would play and that would feel if an American was doing it and standing up for American coaches, American players. I mean, let's be honest, we built an entire show and uh, certainly I've built an entire brand around standing up for American soccer and what it is on and off the field and the, the slings and arrows that often come. Well, I mentioned Leeds' next match is away to Manchester City. Let's update you on the title race that City are involved in. Uh, on Tuesday, Arsenal, back to their winning ways, a 3-1 home victory over Chelsea. Odegaard, Odegaard and Jesus with their goals. Madweki scored for Chelsea. Christian Pulisic not even on the bench, which prompted a lot of U.S. fans to say, just get this season over with so we can get out of there. It is worth noting, though, there have been some stories that Pochettino is a fan, and were he to be appointed Chelsea manager, he would argue that Pulisic should stay. Uh, are you? Does that excite you at all, or no, you want him to get the hell out of there? I mean, it, <laughs> if he's playing consistently at Chelsea, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's not... But he's he has shown that that he hasn't been able to do that other than, I guess, in the the age of COVID. So, uh, you know, that's where he had his, arguably his, his greatest run and his most consistency. So I, I think he needs a change. I, I think Chelsea, just in general, needs to kind of clean house. And, and I, I think that both the players that leave and the club are kind of going to be saying good riddance to each other in that I don't think it's ever going to be determined actually who was the problem, whether, whether it was the players or the player that you're getting rid of, or whether it was the environment that that player was uh, was put in. But whatever it is, and whatever that balance is, it's not working right now, and they got to change it. And I think Chelsea being as bad as they are is as big a story uh, right now as you know when Arsenal goes and wins it. Given that you know they will have blown uh, blown the title, and there there is a I saw, saw it today. There is a mathematical equation that actually can see Chelsea being relegated. That's how bad it has gotten. Now, it's not going to happen, but there is a possibility when it comes to math. Uh, City 
responded today. 3-0 home win over West Ham. Ake, Holland, and Foden with the goals. For Holland, his 35th Premier League goal, which sets a new single-season record. He surpasses Alan Shearer and Andy Cole. So City with a one-point lead and a game in hand. And this weekend is when they could really take command of this thing. Because as we mentioned, Saturday, they're home to Leeds. That should be a a victory. And then Sunday, Arsenal away to Newcastle. Very tough game. Good chance they drop points there. But that's a, yeah, that's, that's going to be fun. If City come out of this weekend with a three or four point advantage and a game in hand, I know Premier League pundits don't want to accept this because they've been building up this great title race, but it's going to feel really forced at that point to act like Arsenal still have a chance to win this thing. Arsenal does not have a chance to win this thing. <laughs> what else? Uh, in Germany, uh, Bayern with a one-point lead over Dortmund with four to play. This weekend, Bayern Munich away to Werder Bremen. Borussia Dortmund home to Wolfsburg. Yeah, I mean, I think Bayern has survived the, the scare, but we've said that now. I think this will be the third time that we have said that this year. So maybe this year is different, but yeah, I mean, you're not going to bet against it. And when it comes to Dortmund, you know, I think, you know, the big news is uh, Jude Belling. Yes. Uh, widespread reports that he is, in fact, going to Real Madrid next season. The deal is very close. Dortmund aren't thrilled that this is coming out when they're in the midst of this title race. But nevertheless, uh, Real Madrid, they've really pivoted to the strategy of signing young players in recent years. They're amassing quite the collection there with uh, Truamini, Camavinga, Bellingham, if he comes, Valverde, the Brazilians, Vinicius, Rodrigo, Endrick, who's going to be arriving uh, when he turns 18. So interesting move for them. You know, this in a in an alternate universe, this would actually be Gio Reyna's move to Real Madrid because that's kind of how it was envisioned. <laughs> and, you know, some things have happened uh, uh, along the way. But Jude Bellingham is is the real deal. And this this is this is going to be fun. And Dortmund, by the way, losing talent and getting paid for it. Don't don't get me wrong, but losing talent is nothing new. We have said this time and time again, year after year. It is part of their their business plan. And in a certain way, it's part of what has kept them from ultimately being able to consistently compete with Bayern Munich. So that they are able to do it this year, even being this, uh, this close and constantly kind of flipping back and forth is a credit to, uh, to, to a Dortmund game plan and business plan that while different from others, ultimately has proven uh, pretty successful. And then in Italy, again, we're taping this on a Wednesday. Napoli actually could have clinched the title today, but Lazio did not cooperate. Uh, Lazio beat Sassuolo 2-0 at home. So Napoli now have a chance to do it themselves. Uh, on Thursday, they are away to Udinese. All they needed is a point in that match. If they get it, then it's their first Serie A title since a Diego Maradona-inspired triumph in 1990. So if they, well, how does the party work? Because that it seems to be, so does that happen that night or do you wait till the team gets back that night and then you celebrate or do you wait till the weekend or what? This is tricky. They moved Napoli's game from Saturday to Sunday this past weekend because they wanted them to clinch by virtue of a result achieved at home so that the party would occur in the stadium and around the stadium. And they thought that would be easier to manage from a security standpoint. This is kind of the worst case scenario but where fans are just going to randomly pour into they, the streets. How far are they ahead? How far are they ahead? I mean, how many points ultimately when it comes to uh, to Italy? Because <laughs> nobody, you don't want to throw a game. You don't want to lose. Oh, a game. I see where you're going. I'm just there. saying. I mean, they are 15 points clear. Of they're Lazio. 15 points clear, and they get a second bite at the apple. At who do they play at home this weekend? Uh, Fiorentina. 
So a second bite at the apple, I, I kind of want them to win it at home. It, it will be kind of anticlimactic if they go to Udinese and you know, find a point there, and then they've won, and they bring it back. Yeah, I, I say you, you don't throw the game. But yeah, you rotate and you, you just uh, you use it for a long term type of benefit. Incidentally, I read an article in the Gazette della Sport today about a Udinese Napoli game in 1985 pitting Zico against Maradona. That was back in the glory days of Serie A. So there is some history in that fixture. Uh, we'll see if they can clinch it uh, against Udinese. Yeah, I don't want them to clinch it. I want to. I want them to clinch it at home. I want to see that party relative to the actual game that happens in Napoli this weekend. That's right. it. Anything else? All right, cool. Uh, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexa. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you uh, send in your questions, comments, concerns. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. Keep in mind that our handles out there on all the social media platforms are SOTU with Alexi. Uh, what do we got this week, Mossy? A uh, couple of Twitter questions. Uh, okay. First up, at USMNT underscore four underscore 2026. Uh, he asks, are we really any better than we were in 1994 when MLS didn't exist or 2002 when MLS was barely alive? I don't agree with trashing, but I absolutely believe we can and should be critical and demand better. Okay. Uh, you know, this was an interesting comment. And to be fair to USMNT 2026, uh, he or she uh, I don't know what it is, um, was came back after I responded to this saying that they were talking much more specifically about the national team, the U.S. men's national team. But it was in reference to somebody who had talked about people trashing MLS and, and on that. So um, I, I thought that it did justify a response and did justify justify my response. And even if you're just talking about the national team. Um, well, so first off, uh, in general, when it comes to American soccer relative to 1994 or 2002, for that matter. If you can't see that American soccer is better since 1994 or 2002, uh, then I, I don't think that you are looking. And yes, American soccer, both on and off the field, still has plenty of problems and challenges. But I think objectively and demonstrably, it, it is night and day as to what America is when it comes to soccer in 2023 right now. When it comes specifically to the U.S. men's national team, that's, that's a, I guess, a more nuanced type of discussion. But I do think that the United States men's national team is better. If you just base it on results, then obviously until the men's national team gets to a semifinal of a World Cup, because the best that they ever did was a quarterfinal in 2002 and a handball away from going to a semifinal, if it's just about that, then it's a very simple equation. We haven't improved and we won't improve until uh, the U.S. gets to a, a semifinal of a World Cup, which obviously they haven't, uh, they haven't done. But I still think also when it comes to the national team, while I, I will stand, there we go, stand for my generation and my, and my players. I think that the opportunities, the resources, the culture, um, and ultimately the talent, and to be quite honest, the amount of competition that the generation goes, goes through now is incredibly better than anything that I had, or even that the players had in, 
in 2000 and, uh, 2002. And as I say many times, we love to kick ourselves for what we haven't done as a soccer playing nation. And it, every once in a while, we do have to pat ourselves on the back for how far we have come. The landscape that I grew up in and that my generation grew up in is all but disappeared. Yes, there are remnants of it, but a young player growing up today in America and playing soccer has opportunities, whether it's men's or women's, that I never even fathomed. And so I, without a doubt, would say that both the men's national team and, and certainly American soccer is light years ahead of where we were back in the 80s and, uh, and back in the 90s. And as I said, there's plenty of things that pose challenges and there are plenty of mistakes that have been made along the way. But the players that wake up today that play for the national team, what they have at their disposal and the talent that they have because of all those resources that we are talking about, I think has made them, I don't think it's arguable, but we're arguing it right now, much better than anything that we've had in the past. Just to play devil's advocate though, uh, there's a type of fan that perceives the current crop of players to be much better than what came before them based on European club pedigree. Mm -hmm. But some of that is just a matter of greater acceptance of the American player in Europe. There's certainly guys on previous U.S. teams that probably could have played in these top European leagues, but the American player... Sure, but the pathways weren't there. And, you know, had they had the resources... I mean... What they did with the limited resources that they have is actually a credit to them. And, you know, we love to play this game of, you know, what if this national team was going up against the likes of Clint Dempsey or Marcelo Balboa or Landon Donovan? And, you know, how would how would these types of players fare? And okay, that's you know, that's fun, that's fun to do, but you have to be able to give them the same experiences. You have to be able to give them the same type of uh, type of opportunities, and to live in a world that's very, very different than the world that uh, that existed uh, that existed back then. I will say the 2002 team was no joke. Oh. Uh, Brian McBride, I would say, is better than any center forward that was on the 2022 team. You had Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley, Claudio Reyna. Uh, John O'Brien, who I okay, think is well, one of the most on, gifted. But you're doing this one. So why are you <laughs> saying that they're better? Uh, I don't know. I'm, Eddie Pope. Uh, look at the three goalkeepers sure. on that. Uh, Brad Friedel, Casey Keller, and Tony Miola. Okay, How's that? But why are you saying they're better? Because why they am were, I saying who's better? Why, why is Brian McBride, for example, okay, better than, insert, you know, Jesus Ferreira or uh, Ricardo Pepe or something like that? Because he did it, because he went to a World Cup, because he scored goals. Uh, your point is this generation's young enough that we have to wait and see. Uh... No, my point is that what what is the basis? What is the criteria for being better other than they had success and therefore they're better? And, right? and also he worked at Fox and was such a nice guy. To me. <laughs> I love Brian McBride, one of my favorite people. I know, I know you love uh, you love Brian McBride. I mean, look, I maybe I was a little bit more definitive than than it warrants in that there is a greater conversation a bigger conversation and a discussion and at times maybe a disagreement as to 
how good this generation is, how good these national team players are relative to previous generations. By the way, also on the but 2002 team, uh, Greg Berhalter, yep. who was just U.S. coach, and Steve Terundolo, a guy who it sounds like you're talking yourself into becoming the next U.S. coach. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but nobody's going to ask. Uh, nobody's going to ask me. But I appreciate uh, USMNT underscore four underscore 2006. I appreciate what you are saying. And so I also thank you for letting me use it to kind of jump off to uh, to more of a bigger question as to how far we have come, which is probably something that you would agree on. Uh, next Twitter question. PA underscore Owls asks, why aren't MLS clubs playing the Premier League teams in the summer? Okay, so first off, uh, the Premier League teams are coming. There is a summer um, fest that is being promoted with the Premier League's teams not only coming, but playing each other. And from their perspective, their business perspective, hopefully satisfying the, uh, the obvious desire and popularity when it comes to Premier League, not just Premier League teams, but the Premier League uh, viewers and and fans over here. Uh, when it comes to the uh, MLS All Star team or All Star game, obviously they're playing Arsenal. But these are these are other games that are happening between Premier uh, Premier League teams. So why aren't they? Keep in mind that the Premier League, their objective and their only objective is to spread the brand of the Premier League. Okay. They see gold in them, their American hills. They have for decades now. This emerging market that I would argue has already emerged, but still has incredible potential and therefore has the ability to be tapped, they are going to keep coming. And all of these, these teams recognize that their global footprint and their global brand can be enhanced by being front and center and being around uh, and playing these types of these types of games, they have no interest in MLS succeeding. They have no interest in making MLS better. As a matter of fact, MLS and the Premier League in this type of such scenario will be looked at as competitors. So why would you come in and prop up an MLS team when your your major and some would argue your only goal? is to create or satisfy as many Premier League fans as possible. Uh, an interesting game that's occurring, LA Galaxy 2 versus Wrexham. I am looking forward to that. That will be fun because, you know, the, there is a raging debate as to where Wrexham would fall uh, when it comes to, um, you know, the hierarchy of, uh, uh, of Major League Soccer. If Wrexham just suddenly became an MLS team right now, given the talent that they have and the money that they spend, where they would fall. They would fall to the bottom, okay? <laughs> so I am looking forward, and I would love nothing more than to LA, LA Galaxy 2 to go out and smash uh, Wrexham. But this is good, and this is a good type of litmus test. And regardless of the result, people are going to use it and point to it to justify their position when it comes to Wrexham, when it comes to American soccer, when it comes to Major League Soccer, and all these different things. You know, Newcastle are coming this summer, and Warren Barton invited me to go to a game with him, and he said he would take me to meet Bruno Guimarães and Joelington, but alas, I will be in Australia covering the Women's World Cup when that's occurring. No. Damn. Well, you know what? I... Uh, Another time, uh, you will get to meet some of your uh, some of your favorite players when it comes to that. And look, Arsenal coming 
I think they're going to be coming on as high a note as we have seen in recent past when it comes to Arsenal and satisfying all of those uh, Arsenal fans out there. Although, Anything else? Uh, unpopular take. I liked the MLS versus League MX All-Star game. I like that better than the European club format. I, I also like it because I think it plays into what they're trying to do uh, and continues to hammer home how these two countries and these two cultures, well, three countries, excuse me, um, are tied to each other uh, going forward. But it'll still be fun, especially with what Arsenal did. And it's always a question of who are they actually going to bring, who ultimately is going to play when it comes to some of these uh, some of these stars. And the American soccer fan in general has become much more educated um, and discerning, if you will, and as seen through a lot of the the money grabs that these things have often been. And last thing, then we'll move on. If Fullerton Balogun commits to the U.S. and then spends preseason with Arsenal, he would be a big draw in that game. Yep. Well, that'll be fun. Uh, look, it's soccer, but, and I, and I, like I've said, men's, women's, co-ed naked, it doesn't matter as long as people are playing soccer. That is a good thing for the U.S., but there absolutely are um, very divergent and differing type of goals uh, when it comes to teams that are playing here, uh, either uh, domestic teams that are playing here uh, on a continual basis or teams that are parachuting in, uh, hoping to access the uh, the incredible emerging fan base that is America and that is North America. All right, That's it. Nope. Uh, let's take another quick break. When I come back, I, I will give you my one for the road. Okay, welcome back. It's uh, the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Uh, article came out uh, in which there were some quotes from uh, David Moyes, and I think they were really interesting because I think they do sh- foreshadow some of the uh, different ways in which players that come to the end of their career and want to continue in the game are going to follow, and maybe some of the less traditional ways. Uh, quote, you can see a lot more ex-players thinking We'd rather be closer to the boardroom because it seems a safer role, said Moyes. And there are a lot of courses going on for trainee sports sporting directors, which is good. I think ex-players going into these roles might be good in the future. Again, that's David Moyes uh, coming from the Telegraph. And it, it, you know, it got me thinking about, you know, first off, my own pathway. And for those that don't know, when I finished my career, uh, I didn't know my career was over. But I walked into a room and I was told that, at least at that point I was playing for the Los Angeles Galaxy, that there, I had no future there. And another door, an opportunity opened up that was in the front office. And at that time, this was the early aughts, you know, that was still a relatively uh, non-traditional type of uh, position for ex-players. The traditional type of position, as we know, is to go into coaching. And um, that is, I don't think, is going to change because I just think it lends itself to it. And like I said, it is you know, much easier and a much more direct type of path. And for a lot of players that are coming to their career, it's what they know. And so there is a comfort level. But I also think, to Moise's point here, that players now are surveying the current landscape and looking at the expendable nature of coaching. And all coaches for decades have understood that you are hired to be fired. But you know, you look at the amount, 15 managers have been fired in the EPL this year. And 
the patience level, I think, has lessened and deteriorated over the years. And some players might be saying, hey, you know, these sporting directive positions or these positions in front offices that aren't as specific or directly related to the week in and week out competition and results that a coaching position is, those might be more appealing. And those are, while they're not lifetime, they are less likely to be fired. And oftentimes they are the last to be fired. And something really has to go wrong for you uh, to get fired, which explains my firing back <laughs> in 2007 uh, from uh, 2006, whatever it was, from, uh, from the galaxy. I hope that this is actually a trend going forward. I hope that players are seeing this as a viable option and not just sporting directors, but even other opportunities out there that, while not directly, certainly are within the soccer industry, but can access what is a really unique type of experience. Now, some would argue that it's a limited type of experience when it comes to players, but I think that if it's the right person that thinks about the game and thinks about the game being more than just the actual kicking of the ball, I mean, there is some real value that oftentimes is in-house that can be uh, that, uh, that can be accessed. And so I don't think that this is going to change. As a matter of fact, I think it's only going to continue. And I think that that's a good thing. I, you know, I, I joke about getting fired, but I don't regret for a second that I took that opportunity because of everything that I learned. Yes, plenty of mistakes, but all that I learned about a game that I thought I knew everything about as a player. And what you find out, by the way, even if you go into the coaching in, uh, line of work, you find out very quickly that you don't know shit. And a lot of the things that you learned don't necessarily apply. Now, a lot do, but a lot of it from that position now where you're not actually kicking a ball, where from a coaching perspective, you're telling somebody how to kick a ball, or from a sporting director, you're trying to extrapolate things out and you're trying to assess players, not in the moment, but long-term, you're doing succession, all that type of stuff. It doesn't always translate. A lot of it does, but I hope that as we continue on, there are more opportunities for these players to take less traditional types of roles going forward in, uh, in, in the industry. And um, I think that they'll be successful. And you look at someone like, you know, who would, who would a leader? Uh, you mentioned uh, Steve Terundolo. Well, I don't think it's any coincidence that somebody sitting above him uh, in John Thorington has been so uh, has been so successful. Former player. You look at Garth Lagerway, a former player in these types of positions. That they're not just in charge of the actual kicking of the ball on that competition side, but in many instances they're in charge of integrating the business of what is going on. In Garth's position, he's in charge of all sorts of stuff when it comes to what's going on on and off the field and getting into that world of selling the game and the business of the game, which as a player, oftentimes you have little or no knowledge of. Um, I think that that's important going forward. Uh, to bring this podcast full circle, whatever your struggles as a GM, you did lure David Beckham to MLS. <laughs> and if Beckham is able to lure Messi, then indirectly you will have been responsible for Lionel Messi coming to All MLS. Right. Well, well, I will end this pod then saying, you're welcome. You're welcome to everybody out there for what hopefully is uh, is to come. Uh, but I also will say thank you. I will say th thank you to you. Again, a happy birthday to Aaron. And uh, thank you to everybody for uh, the fact that you review and that you rate 
uh, and that you subscribe and that you interact. And whether it's sending in uh, in questions as uh, we had today on Twitter or whether it's on the uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. Again, it, it, we've been doing this now a bunch of years, Mossy, and it still blows my mind that that people actually care and that people actually uh, are out there and that are listening to it. And we got the numbers and people are. And that's a really, really cool thing. We got, we, you know, we've only just started. All right. And whether it come, whether it, uh, we were talking earlier today, and I think we've mentioned this on the pod before about the incredible studios that we'll be moving into later on this summer. Speaking of the summer, we got an incredible summer with Gold Cup and Women's World Cup. And we're just going to continue to crank out the content uh, when it comes to the State of the Union. Got my FIFA accreditation approved I, today. I did too. I did too. It was uh, it was very quick. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily easy. I, I hit the submit button and I was like, I hope I got this right because there were a lot of things that you had to fill in and some really interesting things. Maybe next pod we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, how that whole process goes on. Anything before we go, Mossy? That's it. All right. Thank you, Mossy. Uh, thank you to you. We will talk to you again next week. And until then, as always, my friends, size the day.